Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show. It's the Monday morning quarterback uh, edition of the show, breaking everything down from week three with a bit of a... Uh, little insight, hopefully, for week four. See what we learn. Take a look at the Fantasy Cruncher uh, lineup study. What went right? What went wrong? I'm Dave Lockman. With me, Josh Ingleman and Adam Scher. Josh, how'd you do yesterday? How'd everything go? I think I was up like a half percent, which to me is like winning the Millie. <laughs> In football, yeah. it certainly feels that way. You just want to stay afloat until you have that big week, Adam. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, it's literally just don't go broke before your chance to win is, is I mean, in tournaments in general, but, um, you know, football specifically, because typically you're playing a little bit more since you only have 17 main slates for a season. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think we talked about it last show. Like I had a huge NFL year last year and I still think I won money like four times. So um, it, it just not losing is, is great. Yep, it sure is. I had a pretty good week. Um, not as much on the MME front, more so on some single entry and three max. I had some decent enough finishes to, to eke out a profit. So like you said, Josh, you'll take it. Wasn't yeah. anything insane, but around doubled up on the day. You parlay that in the next week and hopefully we can, we can make big things happen. One of these weeks it's going to happen. And, and that's simply the way it is. Like you, you will look at some of the best players out there. Some of the best NFL DFS players. They'll tell you, and I, I actually watched someone do this, someone who I, I greatly respect on, uh, said on Twitter the other day, like I lose probably 75 or not, maybe not 75%. He said 75. It was, you know how I'm talking about. Yes. 75% of the weeks I lose uh, in NFL. So like that's, that's kind of how it works. And you just have <laughs> to keep plugging along. And more importantly, Adam, before we get into the, to the cruncher uh, lineup study, you can't put yourself in a position to go broke doing this. Like you, you have to be able to have some foresight through the amount of weeks that you plan on playing to know that, okay, this can get ugly for a few weeks here. Like I will have some skids and it's not like a baseball or basketball where I can just pick back up the following day with a 13 game slate. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, th that aspect of it, I think is one of the most difficult things. I know it's the hardest thing for me in general in DFS. And I think for a lot of people just, you know, actually positioning themselves to go through those swings but you really have to because you know it's like football football more than any of the other sports like one win just can change your entire year uh because the the prize pools are so big but you have to give yourself the opportunity to, to get there yeah josh will uh, i guess we can start diving into this some very popular yeah. some some familiar names at the top of the 
NFL $500,000 slant. By the way, we're happy to have all of you guys with us. Hopefully you guys had a good week as well. Uh, you know, hopefully many of us made it out alive. Buckeyes fan for life said two people I'm praying for before I, uh, because I feel bad for Falcons fans and Eagles fans. Sorry, Lafay. Listen, I, I, my, I have no real feelings anymore. I, they, they have done everything to destroy me. So I'm apathetic towards the Eagles. It's over. But Wentz is a fraud. Anyway, Washington Josh, football team still in first place in the NFC East. Is that incredible or what? Yeah, and I, they I have looked terrible. I they looked really so I bad. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know what to think. But Did you enjoy yeah, kissing I, your sister yesterday? What's that? <laughs> Did you enjoy kissing your sister yesterday? I don't get it. That's what ties are like. Oh, oh, I get it. Have you not? Yeah. Afraid I didn't go that far. But no, you play to win. You don't play to tie. I had a bunch of people on Twitter saying, dude, you, you can't give Burrow a shot to get a field goal there. Like, sure you can. It's a tie in a shit division. Go for <laughs> the win. Go for the jugular. I don't know. It's a bunch of nonsense. They say Doug Peterson's fearless. He's not fearless. He's fearful. Bring back Frank Wright. <laughs> Anyway, Josh, $50,000 up top in the $500,000 slant. Yeah. You had uh, 65,000 entries in this. I think we can take a look uh, here and see what we've got now. Interestingly, and then I'll turn it over to you. If you look at the, the top four lineups, right? The winner, Curry Power, had 150 lineups. Then Anguilla in second had 20. Akon 89.07 had five. And Darone had one. So kind of an interesting little pattern there that you're seeing in the top four. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm pulling it up now. I had the ownership and everything up. I'm sliding over to the left side to show everybody that was in it. Uh, you know, who did finish fairly highly 13th in the slant, the boss man himself, Alex Baker, uh, profitable day in the slant at the very least, but shout out to Curry power for taking that bad boy down 42 lineups out of 150 cashed. It's pretty solid. Yeah, you can't um, beat it. No, you, you you can't. And Adam, <laughs> you, you're if you're looking at this, you see what forty two percent cash. It, Ricky D had had a hundred. He had one where uh, if you look at his hundred and fifty lineups, I don't know the the what was the highest he finished. I'm trying to see the twenty eighth, twenty eighth, forty eighth. 40, yeah. He cast hundred and twelve of hundred and fifty. He had forty three percent Russell Wilson. <laughs> wow, eighty seven percent lock. Yes, he had, he had like 80% lock in the slant. Um, I, I'd already looked at his exposures before the show, and um, yeah, he clearly was very heavy on that game stack, which you know obviously makes sense. Yeah. Do you, do you want to take a look at some exposures in the uh, winning lineup, Josh? Curry Power with sure. 248 DraftKings points. Let's take a peek. Winning lineup was Russell Wilson, Derek Henry, Rex Burkhead, who I just, I hate when that stuff happens in New England, but it's neither here nor there. I had some Rex Burkhead, amazingly enough. Yeah. Just somehow snuck into my lineups. <laughs> didn't sneak into mine. Yeah, I, I was overweight on Burkhead, just didn't have the right pieces around him. Ridley, Gallup, Lockett, Logan Thomas, Jeff Wilson, and the Colts defense because the Jets are barely an NFL team. 248.1 wins by 7.9. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a big win in a 65,000 person uh, tournament. But yeah, well, Adam, you look at this. His his owners his sum of owner or ownership sum was 95.9%, which 
isn't isn't egregious, right? Like his top, his, his other lineup was, let's see, out of the 150, he had one with 163% ownership sum, 146. So he had a bunch that were very popular, but yeah, the winning one was was below 100. Is there any spot that, that you think is is right? Or do you just run lineups and sometimes you might have one with 150% and one time you might have one with 70%? Because I do think before the show, you mentioned something about potentially being um, a little bit too contrarian on this slate. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously your ownership sum is going to vary by the slate. You know, if, if, you know, yesterday there wasn't really any massively popular players outside of like Miles Sanders. Um, but, you know, other slates are just going to get guys, it, it, depending on pricing, basically, um, that are, are more popular. But uh, yeah, it, it's not, I don't specifically target like a specific ownership sum. Um, stuff that I do as far as building my lineups and valuing lineups that I think have under-owned players tend to naturally knock down my, my ownership sum. Looking at, at my lineups, so I, I said before the show that um, I, I thought I might have played a little bit too contrarian yesterday because I, I had changed some stuff and I, I liked a lot of the stands that I took, but I thought maybe my lineups themselves were a little too contrarian. But looking through my stuff, I'm not really sure that was the case. You know, you mentioned that the top lineup had about a 95% ownership sum. Looking through my stuff, it's a lot. There are a lot that are, you know, in like the 60s, which is probably a little low, uh, 60s and 70s, but I have some up around 100 too. So it's not something I specifically target. It's more of just like kind of trying to find the sweet spot between lineups that project well and lineups that I think the range of outcomes for, for a player um, kind of makes them on their own. So um, that, that was something I think I kind of did poorly yesterday was I went a little bit heavier on, on some low owned guys. But um, I think that to, to your question, it's not something that I specifically target. Josh, you're looking at Curry Powers exposures. He had pretty flat quarterback exposure 20 percent murray 20 percent wentz 13 percent uh allen 11 percent wilson nine percent cam newton nine percent dak prescott seven percent joe burrow ryan Tannehill, and deshaun watson at five percent as well and then mitch trubisky two of 150 were there uh so 10 quarterbacks pretty spread out here with only two of them coming in at 20 percent nothing above 20 percent yeah, uh, I too had a bit of Wentz. I uh, did not have any Kyler Murray. Ultimately, it probably doesn't matter all that much. You know, you wanted Russell Wilson going for 39.8, but there's just so many options at quarterback that it, it to me, it's just really not all that important how you end so, up there. I'm, I'm kind of curious in, on your thoughts here because it's something that I kind of just was thinking about and maybe it's it's um, just, you know, hindsight being 2020. My approach to NFL DFS in general over the years in tournaments has been basically what you just said, that um, quarterbacks don't really matter. It's more a product of getting to the skill position plays that you want and then fitting in quarterbacks that, you know, fill out your stack or whatever. With some teams, namely, you know, the Seahawks, but also, you know, looking to, you know, teams like the Cardinals, teams like uh, the Cowboys, with some of these teams throwing a lot more or at least a lot of their their scoring coming through the air, teams just in general looking to pass more now than they did, did you know, a couple of years ago. I'm kind of wondering if maybe I should be prioritizing specific quarterbacks a little bit more than I do. So in terms of prioritizing them more, you're talking about potentially thinning down your player pool and and zeroing in on them more? Just doing maybe doing something because the reason that typically – I get I get pretty spread out at quarterback and I don't really put a big emphasis on them is that the with passing touchdowns being four points and most quarterbacks not really running there 
their range of outcomes isn't really quite as spread out as it is for like receivers compared to receivers or running backs compared to, to running backs. You don't get quite as much volatility. So when you're getting a lot of ownership going to someone like Russell Wilson or, or Kyler Murray, um, it's normally it's going to grade out that I should just be playing lower on quarterbacks because chances are they're not going to get outscored by enough points that it matters a lot. But with the extra opportunities going to some guys, you know, Murray with the running, uh, Wilson with just, you know, throwing constantly and, and all the deep passes. I think maybe you're seeing a little bit more of a gap in opportunities for some quarterbacks compared to others. So maybe I am kind of, maybe there's just a bigger gap in, in the chances of some of these top end quarterbacks exceeding relative to the average quarterback that I generally give you credit for. Yeah. You know what? It's really not a bad point. Uh, just on opportunity alone. Now, to be, to be fair, it's tough to kind of analyze a Wilson and an Allen because they've just been ridiculously efficient. Like right. Russell Wilson's volume, pass volume hasn't even been that high. Uh, how many passes did he throw yesterday? Because through the first two weeks, he was just connecting on every pass. Uh, yesterday, he threw 40 passes. and He's completed on the season 77% of his passes, which is crazy. 14 yeah, so that, touchdowns to one interception. That, that, yeah. And so like to that point too, it's kind of, you know, I, I said, cause it's, it's obviously something I haven't dug into. I kind of just, just had the thought when I was looking through this for the first time. Um, but th that's where it gets tough, I guess, in NFL, because like everything's a small sample. So right. on one hand I could say, Oh man, I'm, I'm treating quarterbacks poorly and I need to reevaluate how I approach things. But would I feel that way if Russell Wilson wasn't completing 77% of his passes? So um, it's, it's always kind of like a thing you have to balance. Yeah, it's definitely a question worth considering, though. Josh Allen completing 71% of his passes, 10 touchdowns to one interception. I mean, Josh, over the first three weeks, uh, if you had Russell Wilson or Josh Allen in any of your lineups uh, and you were stacking them, you're very and outside of John Brown, of course, because he got hurt yesterday. But you were probably you've probably done pretty well over the first three weeks if you had them because it not only did it get you to guys like Metcalf and, and Lockett, but more than anything, the Seattle defense has struggled too. So you were getting a ton of big plays coming back on the other side from that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm just looking into it now. You know, Russell Wilson, 34 or more over the first three weeks. Josh Allen, 33 or more over the first three weeks. I mean, what what you're really looking for is like, as long as my quarterback gets north of 25, this lineup is available to win a GPP. Right. And I, I think that like in the grand scheme of things, certainly some guys are going to be more likely to do that than others. Like Kyler Murray for like yesterday, for example, that's why his ownership gets to 21%. His price and his like likelihood of just being functional pushes him up. Uh, I didn't like him yesterday because of that ownership, because I just didn't feel like it was worth it. Enough guys will be there in the end. You really just need to avoid like the, I don't know who's who like cam yesterday at 12.18. It's more about avoiding the bagel than it is being successful with the pick. Yeah. And I guess then that's a good point too. And it goes back to what I was saying about typically not, not prioritizing quarterbacks in general. Like if, so like obviously, you know, Russell Wilson stacks just won the slate yesterday, but yeah. if Tyler, let's say Tyler Lockett doesn't score three touchdowns, let's say he scores one touchdown, DK gets one or two and Greg Olson or Disley or someone gets like that extra touchdown. Those stacks aren't like, you don't necessarily have to have Russell Wilson. Right. 
Russell Wilson scored a lot of points. And oh, by the way, a large percentage of Tyler Lockett lineups had Russell Wilson. Yeah, that, right. that's, a, that's exactly how it breaks down. Like you could have just as easily had, like if, if Cole Beasley scored a little bit more, the Josh Allen Cole Beasley with Lockett might just be a better lineup in the grand scheme of things because you're, you know, you're saving $400 a quarterback and, uh, you know, Cole Beasley's cheaper or whatever. It becomes a little bit easier then. It just so happened that Lockett was the concentration. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Creation of offense. That's what's making Russell Wilson look that much better. Now, don't get me wrong. He's put up 39.8. He's going to be high in the list no matter what. But Lockett is the reason that you get that combination. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes back to kind of what I, you know, what I was saying with how I typically view quarterbacks, the volatility in the the receivers and the running backs is just higher than in the quarterbacks. So, um, it's yeah i agree with what you're saying like it's if the receiver doesn't have that monster game the quarterback doesn't matter as much yeah how did how did the chalk do on yesterday's slate josh uh starting with miles sanders we know the answer to that uh (laughs) he was underutilized but like honestly at this point you just cannot trust eagles chalk and I'm, i'm not i i truly am not saying this because because i'm pissed off because like i said i don't even care anymore but uh, like with Carson Wentz, he's looked terrible. I mean, really, really bad. A ton of missed throws, uh, and it's impacting the entire team. Jason Peters is is bad on that left tack uh, on the left side. And as much as I love Miles Sanders, as much as I'm going to continue playing him this year because he's really, really good. Uh, it's after watching them play, especially over the first couple of weeks, and then last week or yesterday, it's not actually that big of a surprise that that Miles Sanders failed to come through as chalk. I need Carson Wentz to get benched or I'm going to lose a lot of money this season. I, I need him to get benched or to start playing like a normal, competent quarterback again yeah. because I'm, I'm not going to stop rostering is the thing. Yep. You should. <laughs> you really yeah, should. Yeah, I, I, yeah I mean, it's not going to happen. He was my highest known quarterback last week. I assume he'll be up there again next week. Yeah, his mechanics are so shot right now, though, dude. I'm telling you. Like, just don't I – know, I know what the numbers are telling you. Just don't do it. It's, it's going to lose you – t- well, I guess you're already prepared for that, so I'll lay off, but – uh, there's something terribly wrong with the yeah. guy, right? I mean, his salary is going to come down too. Like it's the, the yeah. one thing that'll keep me the the only saving grace is that all of his receivers are hurt, and I won't like his receivers, so it'll keep him out of lineups in the future. Hopefully, well, hopefully that happens because otherwise, you know, you might not be on the show by week eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Wentz was my highest stone quarterback, and Goddard was my highest stone tight end, and Ertz was my third highest stone tight end this week. So, needless to say, uh, I'm blaming the Eagles for how my week went. Fly, yeah, Eagles, fly. I, I had a couple lineups that were really, really solid. 200 plus fantasy points with Goddard in there getting a one. So I, I looked at Sanders. I was like, man, I, I only had like 17% Sanders. Like how did I have such a bad week? And then I looked at the rest of the Eagles that I played. They're terrible, man. Yeah. Car- Carson Wentz has essentially done everything he can to, to give games away. But anyway, Josh, from a, from a chalk standpoint, uh, talking chalk report here. What do we have as far as the, the most popular players being able to pay off their salaries or not? Yeah, just one second. Circling back to Adam mentioning uh, that he thinks he was too contrarian. 
this table that's on the screen right now sorted by ownership from top to bottom your entire column is either white or shades of red there's just no yeah, sign that. of like any you going big on anybody at all that was owned more than 10 percent of the time yeah the on the, on the popular plays i was either even on i was even on lockett i was even on hopkins um going from memory and i think yeah. i might have been even on jonathan taylor and yes. then i just like faded everything else yes correct nailed it uh so from a chalk perspective miles sanders the massive massive chalk 44 percent owned 14.7 fantasy points which is fine like that's you know it's not a disaster it's what like his 45th percentile outcome something in that neighborhood um Hopkins was good, 27. You know, you hope for more. Kenyon Drake, bad. That one stung. Uh, Taylor, meh. Singletary. If you would have scored that touchdown on that first, I think it was the first drive, maybe the second drive, early. Tackled at the inch line. That one stung for me as well. Um, Kyler Murray, 25 fantasy points, largely irrelevant. Tyler Lockett, the guy that you needed to have, 20.5% ownership, 40 fantasy points. Big time day. DK Metcalf, 23 fantasy points, sort of, depending on how you want to say that he got there. Um, that, that'll be solid. Uh, Amari Cooper, fine. CD Lamb, not so fine. Allen Robinson, big day, 31. After that, we're getting into like the 15% range. So Deontay Johnson, a, a ghost. Eagles D, bad. Logan Thomas, bad, but doesn't matter at 3,700. I don't know. It, it, it's a weird day. Nobody was... Like I'd say, Kenyon Drake was probably like the most abject, horrible owned play. Yesterday. I'll tell you, I I had a decent amount of Kenyon Drake too. Um, I, I had a ton of Allen Robinson, so that really helped me. I was very surprised that his ownership was as low as it was. And what, whether you want to say that Nick Foles, you know, buoyed his production in the second half, you can. But he he had like six for seventy at halftime anyway. So uh, against that Atlanta team. You want to talk about an ad, abject disaster defensively? Uh, they were terrible. So Allen Robinson was was really solid at only sixteen percent. But um, ultimately, Josh, another one of these guys that comes in popular every single week and kind of just gives you the bare minimum of what you can get for someone at that salary is Amari Cooper. It seems like you know every week he's giving you the seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and and fading him or at least coming in really underweight is not going to hurt you ever. He will have that huge game ultimately, but yesterday, if you stuck with Gallup after having a 10% target share through the first two weeks, you were very happy with that. He has 35 targets and 270 yards. He just hasn't gotten in the end zone yet. Like Cooper's numbers are everything you could possibly want other than the fact that he just hasn't scored. Yeah. I mean, touchdowns are just, you know, it's it varying basically there. There's no question. My, he was my he was my hundred yards in a touchdown pick yesterday too. Went for twelve targets, nine catches. I would have just assumed that at the very least I got the hundred yards part right. My it, point uh, is simply that when you're looking at like say LeBron, Giannis, and Luca on an NBA slate, uh, and you know Adam, you and I have talked about this on the show so often. Many times you'll just be like, well, if if Luca's way less owned than these guys, I'm willing to get there. Uh, and go overweight for a guy that can put up the same numbers as anybody else at the same price point, but is lesser owned. I, I feel like that's the way it's going to be with the Cowboys most of the season. If Michael Gallup is going to be coming in at half the ownership of Amari Cooper or CD Lamb cheaper by a thousand dollars and also coming in way lower, I have no problems 
going to the lesser owned Cowboys receivers, knowing that Dak's going to sling it around the field regardless. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's how I feel about football in general, as you can see by who I chose to roster this week. Um, but like touchdowns are so just fluky. I mean, even if even if you're on a team that you expect to do well, like the Cowboys, you know, to, to your point, it's still just a complete crapshoot who gets in the end zone. And obviously that's that's such a big part of scoring. So in general, in football, I think if ownership is going for obviously there are exceptions, but if ownership is heavily concentrated on one particular player, you can normally find two or three guys around them that have you know similar upside. And within the card within the Cowboys specifically, I agree with that too because you know yeah, CD Lamb is going to get targets like they you know drafted him for a reason. He's a big part of the offense, etc. But Michael like there was all this talk. You know, I saw tweets about why are people surprised Michael Gallup's getting phased out of the offense after they drafted CD Lamb, blah blah. blah. And it was like, do you really think that just for the entire season, Michael Gallup's not going to show up? What like, a dumb even- comment. And also uh, week week one, like he has a completely different week if you don't get that fake um, offensive pass interference call week one for on like the 40 yard catch. Um, but even th- that aside, it's you can't in football, you can't just look at one, two, three games and say like, this is what is going to happen going forward. Like use your brain in situations like this. And if someone is talented like Gallup or whoever uh, in a, and has a big role in an offense, there's a better chance that you just see peaks and valleys throughout a season than that the game plan going forward is just like, yep, we're never going to throw to this guy again. Right. A guy that actually had a higher target share than Amari Cooper last season is not just going to be phased out because they drafted a wide receiver in the right. Place, right? And, and I'm not saying that as some sort of victory lap. I think I had like 4% Gallup. Like that was a spot that I didn't take advantage of, but it's, it's just in general, like you, I, I saw, um, I saw someone tweet yesterday that he loves week three of NFL because people tend to, think that they figured everything out from the first two games of the season and ignore their preseason thoughts too much. And I agree completely. Like everything in the NFL is a small sample size, basically. So you're just so much better off thinking in terms of like the large picture and just thinking logically, you know, is it more likely that the Cowboys, for example, are going to just ignore Michael Gallup or is it more likely that he had two bad games? It's a great point. I mean, another you could look across the entire league of it for examples of this, Josh players aren't involved through the first two weeks. It could have been, and Adam mentioned the sample size is so small that you can only glean so much from this. It could have been the fact that maybe there was shadow coverage in two spots. Maybe a team is better uh, defending the middle of the field. Maybe they have very good linebackers, uh, a great slot corner. It's kept them from producing. So then you immediately assume that, all right, well, if that's the case, he's just not getting work. The offense must be changed. When realistically, two matchups means absolutely nothing. Now, that isn't to say that you shouldn't be looking at someone like, uh, say, Joshua Kelly and, and saying, okay, we, we need to look into this more. But here's another good example. 23 carries against Kansas City, and then he only had eight against Carolina. While Austin Eckler, who everyone was starting to panic over, comes into this game and and ends up being targeted 11 times after everyone said that Austin Eckler is not going to be targeted anymore, even if it's Justin Herbert or not going to be targeted nearly as much. Another thing, too, is so annoying. It is. But like game script is so much different in in, in football, too, because if you have the lead for two games or you're in a very competitive game, you don't have to worry as much about Austin Eckler getting him the ball in space and, and, and passing to him out of the backfield. The moment the Carolina Panthers play from behind, he's targeted 11 times. Just another example of, of the, the disparities you're going to see week to week. It's why I keep mentioning the small sample size in football. Not only are we talking about, you know, we have two or three games of data, but 
within each game, there's, like you said, there's different game scripts, there's different coverages, there's different def uh, defensive tendencies that offenses can take advantage of. So let's say you go back, watch all these games and, and figure out, you know, okay, in this situation, this guy's going to do well. Now you still have to predict within this one game sample of how that game's going to go. Like, good luck. You're better off just saying, like, this guy's going to be on the field. He's going to get opportunities in certain situations. If nobody's going to roster the guy, then I'll I'll play him if I think he has offside. And if everyone's going to roster him, then I'll roster someone else and hope that this one specific one-game sample goes poorly for the guy that everyone's going to roster. Like, NFL, more than any sport, I think, just – if you can convince yourself that you don't really know anything about what's going to happen, you're probably better off. <laughs> don't come to our yep. Slack then. <laughs> well, yeah. Convince yourself that you don't know what's going to happen, but also put yourself in a position to capitalize on something happening that most people are convinced is not going to happen. It, or Exactly. Just, but, but looking at it in terms of not looking at it like, Oh, this is how this game's going to go. Look at right. it in terms of, this game can go X, Y, or Z. The the general everyone thinks it's going to go X. Exactly. I'll just play Y. The Panthers, Panthers, Chargers game was a perfect example. Like everyone thought that the Chargers were going to have an early lead and coast to victory on the ground. Turns out Austin Eckler was targeted eleven times and racked up thirty-one DraftKings points. Josh, uh, you can just see myriad examples of games that flip on their heads. And now you're looking at them and saying, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting it to go like that. If I had at least, not, not expected it, but had I at least had that in the range of outcomes, at least they anticipated something like that happening. I could have been there for some really big performances. Instead, I went along with the group thing. I went along with how this game flow is supposed to go. I took Vegas as Bible in a spot like this and said, all right, well, they're five-point favorites. They have to play with the lead. And you lost out on some good opportunities. I want to ban the term game script from all DFS <laughs> analysis moving forward. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. As if we have one, as if we have any idea how this game is going to play out. And two... What if you have your running back get tackled at the one? What if your wide receiver makes the catch at the one? The game script has nothing to do with it. You're just running a different play to pick up that random touchdown. It's lunacy. I get it a little bit for, for showdown type stuff where you do kind of want to put a plan together. It is wildly irrelevant in a 12-game NFL slate to think, even, how's even this game going to go? Even your showdown example, it's relevant because you want your lineups to all be working under the same game script. Yeah. It's not relevant in terms of, I know how this game's going to play out and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So-and-so team is just going to run the ball for the first two quarters. Then they're going to have to pass because they're behind. Well, great. Then they pass to the one and the running back grabs two touchdowns. And it's just like, right. well, what are we doing here? It doesn't, none of it matters. And, and none of that matters. You also run into the same issue that we talk about with like NBA with blowouts. Like, okay, let's say the most likely scenario is this game blows out or in the case of football, you know, the chargers are up two touchdowns. You're getting that information nine times out of 10 by looking at a Vegas spread that everyone else is looking at and coming right. to the same conclusion. So where is your edge? Exactly. Right. That, that's one of the biggest issues. Now, look, I do think more times than not, if you're looking at a game where a team is a seven point favorite, at the conclusion of the game, more times than not, you know, that seven point favorite obviously uh, is going to win and it's probably going to have, uh, it's probably going to go 
somewhat the way you expected. But I think what Josh, what you're saying is that even if the, the actual script of the game goes the way you expected in terms of the score and maybe the way it play, maybe the way it, it unravels throughout it, it doesn't mean that those specific players that you are expecting to benefit from that game script necessarily are the ones that see those advantages. Exactly. You can, you could have a team, like let's say the Ravens are playing the Jets and the line is 14 and it's like, oh, well the Ravens are going to run the ball a lot. Yeah. I- it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Like, I expect the Ravens to play their style of football ball more often the people that score those touchdowns to make you win your dfs contests are grab bags it it can be the 60 yard slant pattern and not just pounding the ball with mark ingram for 35 carries it doesn't matter after that you do want to plan it but it's ridiculous god jonathan taylor yesterday is the perfect example like very good dfs play no question about it but the reason he was good was because he's going to get most of the opportunities in the running game but then you had people saying you know adding on to that and saying well they're 12 and a half point favorites against the jets like okay you have to look back literally one week to see that jordan wilkins got like nine fourth quarter carries the last time they had a big lead and you know the game was out of hand um you know it's it was just another way that he can essentially get off the field at the end of the game yeah yep now this one was a little bit different what do you have 13 carries um but yeah point point well taken and it it is it is really important look sometimes i get sucked into that thinking as well now look that i want to clarify that doesn't mean that because you shouldn't be touting game script is the sole reason to play someone that that specific player isn't a good play. Yeah, not right. at all. Right. right. It's just, they're, they're normally a good play for reasons outside of game script. Right. And a perfect example, really a perfect example. Of this is two weeks ago. Uh, the, the, the initial prediction or assumption with Derek Henry uh, going up against the, was it the Jacksonville Jaguars? Right. Yeah. yeah. It was, was, was that Derek Henry would run them over. And and I got sucked into this too. Now, granted, I still think at, at 7,900, he was a very good play. He still had 25 carries and 27 looks. Normally that's pretty solid, but you would assume that the Tennessee Titans put up 33 points at him in a game like that um, against the Jacksonville team that most thought a defense and offense was anemic that he would have been able to find the end zone multiple times. Derrick Henry did not score once. Ryan Tannehill, uh, amazingly, comes into that game and throws three touchdown passes. Uh, I'm sorry, no, was it four? Yeah, four touchdowns uh, in a spot where most people would look towards Derrick Henry being that guy. It's just one of many examples we've had already through three weeks of the season. Yeah, and ultimately, it just comes back to probabilistic thinking. And you can, I think the probabilities of, of things happening just aren't as high as, as people give it credit for. You know, you go back to the, the basketball blowout example, and it's, you know, I know we've used it before, where even if a team's like a 15-point favorite, they're not like 70% to, to blow the other team out. And it's the same with football, where 
you know, you, it, it can feel like Jonathan Taylor is a lock for 25 carries and two touchdowns or Derrick Henry or whoever, but the actual probability of those things happening is just so much lower than I think the field gives it credit for. And naturally that makes the probability of the other, you know, the, some other event that people aren't planning for happening higher than, than people tend to think. Right. And I think one, Josh, one way to put it that might make sense, and we'll get to your question in a second, John, because it's, it's a fine question, uh, is just because we're saying this doesn't mean that Derrick Henry was a bad play because he wasn't. But more than anything, it doesn't mean that the pass catchers in that game weren't potential good plays. That's, that's the perfect way to look at it. Yep. In a situation like that, I would bet more often than not, the wide receivers or tight ends for the Titans will be dramatically undervalued because everybody just thinks the Titans are the favorites. The Titans will win. Derrick Henry does all of it. Yes. And yep. that is just like a preposterous way to approach DFS because touchdowns are essentially random. Look, I mean, look at the Packers game last night. Um, Aaron Jones had he had one touchdown, almost that too. But Alan Lazard was a pass interference in the end zone and getting tackled at the two yard line away from having three touchdowns in that game and Aaron Jones having zero. And, you know, at the end of the day, it comes out kind of looking like how you expected it to. Lazard had a big game. Jones had a good game. But like it's just random stuff like that. And, and that's why I think that people overvalue how likely certain outcomes are. Yep. Derek. Didn't Derek Henry? Oh no, Derek. I'm sorry. Uh, Aaron Jones had the receiving touchdown in, in week two, but two rushing. Uh, John asks. John asks Adam, "Can you use it as a baseline? Like talking about game script? Can you use it as a baseline uh, in terms of maybe uh, the direction that you anticipate a game going? That hey, this team will have to throw, or maybe this team should score a lot of points. Can you use that as a baseline?" I mean, yeah, I think it's it's typically the, the baseline for your projections is typically going to come from Vegas and come from exactly. the implied total for a team and all of that. But, you know, like taking the Derrick Henry example from against the Jags, he was a good play. I think he carried the ball like 25 times. He just happened to get like 84 yards and not score. So the, the opportunities there made him a good play. But he's going to get those carries, you know, as long as Tennessee wasn't like getting their asses kicked, he's going to get those carries regardless. The fact that they were 10-point favorites or whatever the case was doesn't really add that much value certainly not enough value um not not as much value as the field thinks when you, you get all this ownership going there so as a baseline sure but it, it's more so just um you know how many points do you think the team is going to score and then you also know uh, you have an estimate for the percentage of touchdowns the, the you know market share that's going to Derrick Henry so that's kind of where you're getting it from it, it's not so much they're going to be winning this whole game and that's going to get him more carries it, their offense runs through Derrick Henry anyway, or, or, you know, Jonathan Taylor or whoever. Yeah. It's a good conversation to have for sure. Hey, hit that thumbs up. If you guys are just jumping in or you've been with us and haven't done so yet. Remember if you're in chat or on, if you're on mobile and the chat's pulled up, you can click out of that chat and hit that thumbs up button. It helps us greatly. Uh, so we can keep putting free content out here uh, and, you know, kind of work around the algorithm. The more interaction we get, uh, certainly the more we're going to get uh, new eyeballs on this uh, screen, on the channels, so we can keep putting out free stuff. And we love doing this for sure. So every bit of support is greatly appreciated. Josh, uh, if, if you want to move on from this, we could talk about some of the uh, lesser owned plays that happen to have a big impact in this week three slate. 
Yeah, let's do it. I'm just going to sort by fantasy points on the screen right now. We know Tyler Lockett at the top, Russell Wilson two, Josh Allen three. Rex Burkhead uh, went for 34.8 fantasy points. Huge game. 2% ownership in the slant. Huge game. Monstrous. But again, like Rex Burkhead had six carries and 10 targets. The 10 targets, obviously massive. Let's have this conversation. I don't think it has, um, I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer. If we wanted to rank running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends each week by a metric that we just called sort of like opportunity, carries plus targets, what do you think we should be weighting the targets? Or like how much more should targets ca- count than rushing attempts? On DK, Tom. Right. Like six, like if I told you six carries for Rex Burkhead before Locke, and he'll get 10 targets. How high does Rex Burkhead end up being ranked just because you know of 10 targets? Whereas if it was flipped, if it was 10 carries and six targets, how much lower does that bring him down? How much much value is in each one of those targets? It's a great question. A lot. Because I was actually thinking about it yesterday because I had Chris Carson and some good lineups. And, like, he broke off, like, a 15-yard run. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's the equivalent of if he had just caught a five-yard pass and, like, basically, like, a not even a good play. Um, but, yeah, it's – I don't know the actual answer off the top of my head. But it, it's obviously something you should be valuing more. And then also when you're talking about a running back like Burkhead, the frequency that he's turning those targets into receptions because they're shorter passes – um, you know, obviously he doesn't have the opportunities to make those huge plays, but you're getting close to a point per target, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can't, we have to throw the touchdowns out. Rex Burke has, a, has three touchdowns. That is a, as minimal of a expectation as possible. That right. is essentially, you can't predict that. What should we predict if we know targets and rushing attempts? How much different does it look to get, say, Dalvin Cook have 20? How much are 22 rushing attempts valued compared to a target? That's something that I kind of want to dig into to find the sort of balance of what's the best combination? How much, how many carries do you need? How many targets do you need? What's the offset between the two? You also need to be factoring in red zone carries for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very good question. Hey, look, with with running backs that are discount. How about Mike Mike Davis being another example? Yesterday had nine targets, caught eight of them. the yeah. The reason targets, especially for running backs, are, are are so valuable too is, granted, you're going to have less expected yards per reception, but you're going to have far more expected receptions because the passes are coming in the flat or one yard downfield so yeah you gotta figure i mean that's probably worth what like 0.75 points for every target as a running back something along those lines ignoring yardage i mean what's the average what's the average reception rate for a running back in the national football league it's got to be massive it's got to be upwards of like 75 percent right so right right away every target you get as a running back is worth 0.75 0.75 fantasy points plus yardage plus the whatever the share of a touchdown be. would be it's gotta be i mean just look at it mike davis and these are just isolated examples but it goes to show you like eight of nine for mike davis 11 of 11 for austin eckler uh some of these running backs are going to have targets that are downfield like miles sanders gets targeted downfield quite a bit but uh all in all uh how about how about alvin kamar 13 of 14 josh again just 
individual uh, isolated examples, but they catch most of the passes that are thrown to them. And yeah, you're right. That you've got to be able to quantify that pretty easily, you would think. That's what makes it hard for somebody like Derrick Henry, because especially on DraftKings, like you he has to score. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He has right. to get in the end zone. Like you're not gonna get a lot of two hundred yard rushing days with no touchdowns to just like make you be a viable play like week one 31 carries for 116 yards eh, it it truly doesn't matter being involved in the passing game and being able to bank those targets is just massive for bringing your floor up yeah to, to that point um the week that the week against the jags i played i i did play a lot or a good amount of the, the titans passing game but i also played a lot of henry and that was one spot that i thought i made a mistake just rostering a popular running back at a price where, you know, I thought he was a really good play based on opportunities and everything, but he still needs to score multiple times for you to actually want him in your lineup. Whereas if he were Alvin Kamara, he doesn't need to score multiple times. He needs to catch 10 passes. Yeah. Like so, what, what is the, what do you need? What is your upside for Derrick Henry? So 30 points this week, two TDs, 119 yards, two catches like that is, that is the upper bounds right there to, to get those two D like, what if he doesn't get those two TDs? What if he's pushed out at the one? I don't, I don't know where he scored from. It's that Derrick Henry. Again, yeah. Like, Let me ask you this. He, he you gets think- the benefit of the red zone target or red zone rushes at the very least. So he's going to get them right. both. What do you think the average expected fantasy points of a carry is compared to the average expected <laughs> fantasy points of a running back target? I mean, a carry is 0.45 probably. Right. Is it even? Yeah, I get. It's your yards per carry, right? Yeah. Probably. I'm saying league. I don't know what the league average is. My assumption is the league average is around like four, four point two. Sure. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but every every every, every, every target is one point seven plus, plus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, points. It's got to. Yeah, probably close to one. Like all things considered. Yeah, because 0.75% chance of a catch, I would assume that the average reception is more than two and a half yards. So, like, let's say it's like five yards and you're catching it, you know, 75% of the time, that's adding, you know, four tenths of a point on, basically. Yeah. I I have to believe that the, that the average reception rate's up around 75, 80%. It's got to be. So, yeah, makes a, a huge difference. Huge difference. And more than anything, just knowing that a guy can be involved in both phases of the offense in the event that things do go awry uh, and do flip on their head and go against that so-called game script that, that we talk about. That really puts like Kenyon Drake's season so far into perspective. Not involved at all in the passing game. 18 carries this week, 20 Very the week concerning. before, 16 the week before. Now that all looks great. Oh, he's a running. He is the running back. He is getting the carries. If he's going to get five targets in over three weeks, like there is very little value in Kenyon Drake unless you know that he's going to score multiple times. Well, in Kenyon Drake specifically, it's about as bad as it can get because you have a goal line running back named Kyler Murray that is taking those yep. the, the most valuable carries away. Uh, yo, you know what? You know what else? And by the way, he's caught all five of his targets. You know what else? If you're taking the point seven five, let's say. Expected fantasy points. That's not including the average yardage for right. each reception in the right. NFL. So if it's 0.4, let's say maybe 0.42 for expected fantasy points per carry, you have to take the expected points per the reception and then for the actual yardage on top of yeah. that, which is probably around four or five yards itself. Right. So that's, I, I misspoke. I said four tenths of a point. I meant four hundredths, but um, just 
like basically, you know, back of the napkin math, I would guess that a, a target, a running back target's worth about 0.8 DraftKings points and a carries like 0.45. Yeah. Wouldn't it be more than 0.8 though, if you're factoring in? Well, so let's say factoring so, in uh, yards w- w- without factoring in whatever percent of the time it ends up being a touchdown. If you assume that the average reception is like five yards, so that's 0.05 DraftKings points times 0.75. No, it's 0.5 DraftKings points. 0.5 DraftKings points. That, oh, right. That's yeah, yeah, quarterback okay. yards you're working with. Yeah, 0.5. Yeah, yeah. No, ten, just, yard, yeah. 10 okay, yards so is one. I was right the first time. It's four-tenths. Yeah, four-tenths. It's probably like 1.3 or 1.2. It, it's about one. So, like, it, it's 0.75 for the reception. And then if you assume the average reception is five yards, so 0.5 DraftKings points. Yeah, it's like 1.2. It's, like, it's like 0.4. So yeah. 0.4 plus 0.75. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like 1.1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. What, like 1. three 1. times per three times the carry? Exactly. That that's yeah. essentially what we're working, what we're talking about here. Yeah. It's yeah, it's pretty. It's really interesting. You I, you really need your running back to be. I don't want to say like a lock to carry the ball 20 plus times, but that is almost a baseline. If this if you're worried about a guy that's going to get like 10 to 15 carries and he is not a part of the passing game. The chances of him being a part of your actual uh, player pool should be pretty low. You don't have to multiply by the chance of a TD because you, you could throw both of those out in the garbage. It's the chances of scoring the touchdown are the same as the rush in the pass, or at least close enough that it's not meaningful. Sure. Now let me just say this though: there are some exceptions, like Derrick Henry, for example. When it comes to touchdown equity, this guy gets every single bit of opportunity in the red zone, right? Like yes. uh, through the first three games, he has 22 red zone looks. That's just, that's extraordinary, right? And it's not something that we see very often. If they get down to the goal line, sure, against the Jaguars, that wasn't the case. But that guy's going to get chances to score all the time. So he, He's never right, coming off the field inside the five. Ever, right, ever. So there, there is some, like, I do think you have to manually adjust just the way you think about certain players. And I, I would say though, Derek Henry is a rare exception to the rule, especially in 2020's brand of football. Without question. Yeah, like Fournette's week, two weeks ago, 12 carries and five targets. I mean, the fact like that's just, that's so close to the margins. It's so yeah. close. This is going to make me look at this a lot differently moving forward. It is a really interesting way to look at running backs. You're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought it up, honestly, because uh, it it has an impact. I just think you have to find ways to adjust for guys like Derrick Henry as well, because that could get you into trouble. The Kenyon Drake point also ties back into what we were talking about prior to this, where I think his lack of targets is certainly concerning, and it lowers his floor, and it makes you less confident in him. But if someone offers me an even money bet on if Kenyon Drake starts getting targets again between now and the end of the season or doesn't, I would still take that Kenyon Drake gets targets in the future and isn't suddenly just like a guy that doesn't get any, doesn't catch passes. He hasn't been getting targets for a while. That's the problem. He was getting them last year. In week 11, he had six targets. Am I reading this correctly? No. Week week 11, he had seven targets. The following week, he had five. Ever since then, three, one, four, four, two, two, one. I mean, like half of the season last year kind of stopped. Yeah, he was averaging, it looks like, through around three and a half, three or four targets per game over the final five weeks of the season. Yeah, yeah I don't that, know. That, seven, that week seven, 15 seven, and seven, 16. Seven, five, three, one, four, four. 
The week 15 and 16 lines are, or performances are clouding it because he scored six rushing touchdowns in two weeks. Right. But it kind of, it kind of comes full circle with what we were saying earlier in the show. You, yeah. you, you, you can't overlook that just because things haven't happened that they won't happen. And with Kenyon Drake, that might be a good example. Plus you're going to have him on the field, getting the lion's share of carries anyway. Uh, but yeah, look, I, it's true. You would think Adam that yesterday in a game that, well, I guess at, at no point here's, here's something too. at no point in the season. And this, again, I mentioned this earlier uh, to build on your point, Adam, at no point this season, have the Arizona Cardinals been in dire straits where they've been forced to throw the football extensively to try and manufacture some offense against the team that won't let them get ground yards and won't let them get the ball deep to the receivers. Right. Yeah. I don't remember what week one was for them. Last week was a competitive game. Week two, San Francisco, they beat the Niners. Right. Yeah. Week week two was against Washington where they were up, I think like 17 or 20 points at the half. Yeah. Um, So yeah. And and basically the point I was was making with Drake, his median target expectation isn't really that high, but his range of outcomes still has those seven and five target games in there that, that Josh was referencing from last year. So it's just like the perfect example of if everyone is going to roster in weeks where he's popular, you can pretty comfortably be under the field on Kenyon Drake because his most likely outcome is that he's not really getting that many targets. But as soon as the kind of popular um, analysis of Drake is he's not being targeted in the passing game and everyone stops rostering him, you should probably start because he's still going to have those games in the bag where he does get more targets than, than you're expecting. And he still can have those big games. Right. I feel that way with everyone in the league, except Carson Wentz. Go ahead. Josh. <laughs> we- <laughs> Who, by the way, I didn't even notice it. He scored like 24 DraftKings points yesterday. Yeah. Did Full, he really? Fu- yeah. Fully fine. Um, he's not fine. He had overtime, well, but go ahead. I, uh, fine for DFS. Um, where was Not I going? For my mental so we're, we're talking a lot about this right now. And there's one key piece of this that we haven't mentioned that uh, I didn't, I know that the two of you will agree with at some point in time, the price matters. And oh, yeah. uh, like Strammy asked the question, how do you view a back like David Johnson or James Connor who get 20 carries and are viable receiving options? Well, one, David Johnson doesn't do that. 11 carries, 11 carries, 13 carries. He's not even remotely close to 20 carries. Well, again, they played from behind in many of these games, though. He's been on the field for, and I don't mean to cut you off, but he's been on the field for almost 100% of snaps through the first right. three weeks. You got to factor that in too. Well, then he's not getting the targets because it's three, four, and four. So he's he's not being involved even though he's out there, he's playing like a low usage, like three and D guy in the NBA, but he was 6k in week one, 5,800 in week two, 5,400 in week three. I don't get the sense that his price is going to dramatically rise for week four. As the price comes down, the problem or like the, the disparity in targets and rushing attempts doesn't matter as much because the touchdown at the lower price tag is that much more important. Sure. It, yeah, no. it, it all and it, it all comes back. DFS is range of outcomes, salary, and ownership. Like yep. all the narrative-based bullshit that everybody talks about throughout the week is just like so secondary to all of that. Yeah. The Kenyon Drake one is the one that I'm paying closest attention to because if he really is not going to be getting any targets and is a 6K running back that is the second most owned running back on the slate. What did you like? He's 28% owned. What did we need out of Kenyon Drake to be happy yesterday? He's got to score two rushing touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, you're not wrong. The, the ownership on Drake was weird to me because Kyler and um, Hopkins were getting the ownership too. So, yeah. what? like, I understand they had, the game had a high, like a 55 total, but what exactly did people think was happening in that game? Like, 
Kyler Murray at his salary needs to be getting rushing touchdowns for you to be happy you, you played him. DeAndre Hopkins needs to be catching a bunch of passes and getting in the end zone for you to be happy you played him. What's that leaving for Kenyon Drake if Kyler Murray is getting rushing touchdowns and DeAndre Hopkins is catching 10 passes? Of course. And Andy Isabella scored two touchdowns. No, but in all seriousness, yeah. it's, it is like, I, I got to a decent amount of Drake just as a way to get away from the other element. Right. Which I think makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it all comes to me, to me in this specific example, it just all comes back to ownership. Um, there, there is, when you have a game that is expected to be as high scoring as that game, there is a high ceiling for basically every functional player in that game. In Drake's case yesterday, the ownership was getting there, and it basically was saying, you know, everybody is is expecting him to get a, a large share of the points scored in this game, and I, I didn't think it was that likely. If you if you put him in that situation next week, and everyone's like, oh, I'm going to play Miles Sanders and two other running backs that are priced around Drake, and I'm not going to play Drake, then I think he's a great play because the opportunities are still there for points. It's just, um, it, it's just balancing it against ownership and. Uh, you know, I think that's what really matters. You ready for, you ready for this? Way. Quick stat. You'll love this. Go ahead, Josh. Murray, in the lineups that had Murray at quarterback in the slant, 28.4% of them also had Drake. That's absurd. Yeah. Now, it's a lot of people try, probably saying, well, you know, I'm going to outsmart the field. And instead of going, you know, a second receiver, I'm going to go like, how many of them had how many of them had Hopkins and Drake? A lot. So there were 3987 lineups that had Drake plus Murray. 2577 had all three. Wow. So what is that? Almost 66% of them? Yeah, most had all three. If we just look at the entire contest, 4% of all lineups in the slant had that three-man stack. Wow. I was just double checking mine to make sure I hadn't done that while you're just like roasting everyone that did. I almost did it in cash. I didn't do it at the tournaments. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was just coming up. Like if, if you're just playing medium projections, you're going to get a lot of, of that stack, but yeah, it goes back. Um, not only is he not on average, is he not catching a lot of passes? So it's not really someone I'd want to be pairing with Murray, but his touchdown expectation negatively correlates with Murray's like the, Normally, you don't get a whole lot of, you know, of different position players in the NFL negatively correlating with each other because um, high scoring games just lead to points for everybody. But Kyler Murray's expectation or projection is in large part based on him getting a lot of carries and getting rushing touchdowns. That is directly taking away from Kenyon Drake. If we know that Drake has to score rushing touchdowns, we that means that Kyler Murray is also not scoring rushing touchdowns. Mr. Nasty time did it 112 times. By the way, I know a lot of people talk about defenses not mattering. For certain running backs, that that is not true. Like, David Johnson, you wish you would have gotten more targets, and that's the problem against a good run defense. He should be targeted more in the passing game. But he's faced Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Those, he's coming into a week four spot against Minnesota. If there's ever a spot where people have, have you know, grown weary of, of David Johnson and that he's not going to get the opportunities – this is a spot that we'll talk about later in the week. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think factor in run defense for, for some of these teams. If you've watched Baltimore, if you've watched Pittsburgh, they are super stout. Uh, yeah, anything else we got before we, uh, we have, before we head out for the day? I got nothing. Now? We had some good conversation. We did. Uh, breaking it all down. 
Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Remember, uh, if, if you're just jumping in, well, actually, I haven't even mentioned this yet on the show today, but uh, our Express Pass, we decided to to jack up the, the, the amount of stuff that you get in that for $3.95 a week. All of the showdown content for NFL is now included in the Express Pass. We're talking ownership projections, player projections, uh, the rankings, the top plays, uh, all of the showdown articles, everything for $3.95 a week on top of what was already in the Express Pass is included all season long, $3.95 a week. You can get the monthly uh, all access with, with PGA, with NBA, MLB, NFL, NASCAR, UFC, League of Legends, all of that stuff. You can get all of that with our all access weekly, all access monthly, all access annual. I personally think the best bang for your buck, uh, if you're not, you know, if, if you're in a spot where you, you, you can spend, but you don't want to spend too much is the all access monthly. But if you're, if, if you're jammed up right now, but you're looking to win some money. You're looking to check out the tools. You like the showdown slates. Um, there, there is truly an edge there when you're using good tools. Three dollars and ninety-five cents a week. Jump in on that uh, today or whenever. But I mean, no better time to jump in on it than today, where you've got Kansas City and Baltimore squaring off in an absolute sick Monday night showdown. So go to awesomeo.com/slash/join. Check that out. Again, all of the showdown content included in the Express Weekly. Um, and then any contest out there for any sport, we have content for it. So for every other sport, for everything, you all access Awesome o Plus monthly, weekly, annual. We got you covered at awesome.com slash join. And of course, jump in our premium, jump in, sorry, our premium Slack chat. Say what's up, introduce yourself, or just hang around and check out people talking about DFS, uh, sports betting, any sports all throughout the night. Uh, you've got premium office hours with guys like Adam, Alex, and and Josh, who will jump in and answer questions for an hour. Uh, just a, a lot going on at Awesomeo. We'd love to have you join the family. So go to awesomeo.com slash join. And Josh, they can check out your showdown article for tonight, or I'm sorry, your showdown video for tonight uh, right here on the Awesomeo channel, which you've been doing for every showdown slate of the season. Two of them now, one for DraftKings, one for FanDuel. So I'm not even letting the FanDuel peeps hang. I do two separate videos, two separate pieces of data. Awesome. And Good they were up, they've been hey. up for a couple hours. Josh, I, I think we need your I think we need your push to get us up over that hundred like mark. We're at ninety-six. <laughs> Let's get the light king to put in some work here. At least you re you're recognizing the skill set here. Finished with I must say, no one thought that yesterday. I, the credit went solely to me during the live before lock show. And Chat here you are begging me to low. save the day once again. Guys, hit the thumbs up. We're at ninety-five. <laughs> it looks ridiculous when it's not three digits. Just hit it. There's three hundred of you. At least one third of you should be able to hit that thumbs up. Don't hit it more than once or we don't get credit. You see over 800 yesterday on the Deeper Dive show, 10,000 plus views. Crazy. It's amazing. And uh, I take full credit for that. There we go. We hit 100. We'll see you guys back here soon. Thanks for hanging out with us as always. Uh, do, we have any, do we have any sales giveaways going on? I don't think we do, Josh. I don't think we do. No, that's it. But we got some free premium content. Awesome's top showdown uh, also, it's top showdown. Uh, where is it? Oh, yes. And single game plays for DraftKings and FanDuel. That's free on the site today. And remember that Express Pass 395 week, all showdown and content, content included. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the NFL Strategy Show. Stick around throughout the day. We've got a ton of content, ton of shows coming up. And of course, big time live before lock show, big time Monday night football game. We'll see you back here soon.